0: look upon your Church. As we struggle with how it is that we are to proceed as your body out in the world, give us the wisdom and encouragement of your spirit and the fortitude of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are at session 3 of 7 in our series, and in our last message together, I spoke of how we cannot really condemn the secular narrative, for Christianity has learned to thrive under it in certain places. But we are not, however, afforded the privileges of a Christian empire, such as that which caused Anglicanism to grow for centuries. Now we must become subversives which leads us to today's topic. How do we become the guerrilla fighters on the ground instead of hoping and voting for some sort of reestablishment of Christian empire? As it has been said that some people attend church with the idea that they are trying to reinforce that they are on the right track, that what they believe their entire lives is right and that is not the job of a leader, much less the rector, to make them grow. And if that's the case, plug your ears through the rest of this series. <laughs> the game is changing. Or should I say, already changed. And sometimes the things that will help us on our next steps were the things that worked very well long ago, and we've simply forgotten them. Narcolic this morning. You might have noticed the little phrase that automatically stood out to me. You always resist the proud. You always resist the proud. It seems to me that Christian empire and the idea of imposing faith instead of nurturing it is a rather proud thing. At no point was America—get this—ever a Christian nation. We had no state church. We may have been sold the idea, but even the framers of our Constitution never had that in mind. That is the way that people have interpreted it as we look back at the post-war era. There was something very inspiring, you know, about praying away the idea of coming. And now we have a generation that never knew the threat. So they don't understand that idea at all. Resisting the proud has been understood both individually and corporately. Individually, we must recognize that the good news itself is God's work and not our own work. Any successes that we may have had are built upon the fact that God allowed us. we must recognize that perhaps the church is having to relearn how to do evangelism because we learn to rely on ourselves and not on God. Churches are, after all, not prestigious institutions. We may have thought that a long time ago. There's an old story floated about years ago of a Methodist minister who went and tried to get some new clothes so that a family of very limited means could attend church. And when they got them all dressed up, the pastor of that Methodist church realized that they were nowhere to be found. And upon asking the next week, well, where were they? I went and bought you clothes. He said, well, we looked so good, we went to the Episcopal church. <laughs> <laughs> Lift in their social standing by joining the church, except as our financial documents say on the very bottom, except for intangible religious benefits. So if there's nothing to be prideful about. It becomes a little easier to look at spreading the good news as a subversive activity, and we are the guerrilla warriors on the ground. First, Let us look at how we are to recruit for the army. Our principal strategy and our principal armament is the same. Something so, so incredibly rare in the society in which we live. It's love. Think about how incredibly countercultural that is in today's world. In the American meritocracy, everybody has to earn everything. It's done in the business and boardrooms of life, and even in the universities. But the good news of the kingdom, our principal armament, is unmerited in honor and love. St. Paul reflects on this in Argus' lesson. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. The one who loves is fulfilled, past tense, fulfilled the law. Looking around us, we can see all kinds of things that can be undone with a generous application of love. Family strife, racism, poverty, the list goes on and on. Each one of these social ills has its remedy in love. Part of the proclamation of the kingdom has to be more of what is here and now than the eternal life part. What good is that to a person who is starving, or someone who has no home? How can we, as gorillas on the ground, go in and change the present fallen system only with love? Second, let us look at what we train our gorillas. I remember my mother once telling me when I was small that all of the other children were looking up to me, so I had to set the example. How many of y'all had that thought? Okay. This is what we must train the army to do, beginning with the gorillas in our own household. Gorillas meaning warriors, not gorillas meaning primates. <laughs> <laughs> the fallen world out there is automatically looking for some vestige of that which can connect their broken lives with the divine. There is reason that so many cults and alternative religions have had success. It is not that their arguments are so convincing, it is that people can easily be won over with love. Let us ask ourselves if the evidence of our lives looks like a Christian, or does it look like a worldly person? Paul calls it laying aside the works of darkness and putting on the armor of light. That image, which we pray together in the college for the first Sunday in Advent, reminds us that we are to be perpetually expectant of the Lord's coming. Those who look to us can find one of two options. Either we look the way the world looks, maybe a little warmer, but We look the way the world looks, or we say that we have been called out in baptism. We then become the alternative to the fallenness, and we can demonstrate lives that look very different. And I would add, in the midst of things that are fallen, look very attractive. All too often, we cause scandal to the body of Christ because we do not have a perceptible difference to others. The world out there sees our scandals, our schisms, and thinks, geez, where is love in that mess?" And you know what? They are right. We stand condemned in those moments. We must give the world something worth reaching out for. There's a quote, it's attributed to St. Francis, but I I think that quotation is a little dubious. It is, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Francis, or whomever, is encouraging us to be a signpost, to take to a hostile world the idea of being a subversive army armed with love. Third, let's look at how we employ the guerrillas. I spent a great deal of time trying to digest what we read in that book we read last uh, Lent, The New Parish. I know many of you were not so happy with the contents, but perhaps this is why. Being the church in the world is replacing, drawing the world to the church building. It's a fact. It's a fact that we will also worship the other six days of the week as much as we worship on a Sunday. But even in the days of medieval cathedrals, at no point did the church get judged for its attendance or for its number of events. It was judged based on the amount of evil to address in the world. In fact, there were no parishes in the way that we know them today. This is kind of an anomaly in Christian history. A parish was a geographical area just as we might say then that St. Paul's Parish is the church building organization that services the entire Yuma Yuma Parish County. In those days, minster churches or cathedral churches were the place where priests, deacons, and religious were deployed to work out in the world as the verses armed with this message of love. In a world that knew poverty and disease, sure, people came to liturgy as at the minsters and at the cathedrals, but the focus was not on making church members. That was an idea actually rather unknown in the scriptures. The focus was making disciples. Imagine how countercultural that is. Something we often forget is our third goal, right behind loving God and loving our neighbor, is what? Making disciples. You, my beloved, are charged to be subversive guerrillas on the ground. You bear a message of love. So honor God in your speech and conduct so that people will want to know who you are, and who you serve because you cannot be confused with the brokenness of this world. When I was in seminary, we called it as John Keeble did, living as patterns of holiness, simplicity, and self-denial. We are deploying to change the world with the objective that we can change this fallenness around us, beginning here, but not ending. So next week, we begin to look at our proclamation of the good news. What we are proclaiming, ask yourself, escape or reconciliation? Amen. Amen.